Well, good morning again. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and open those things. If you're new to Bent Tree, uh, you can have, uh, there's notes in your program. You can follow along all the scripture that we'll be covering. If you're looking on the Bible app or you're online, go to the Bible app, go under events, and then you can download the actual notes that we're going over. Also, that prayer guide that we'll hit at the end, some of those scriptures that's in your program and online, but a very special week, not only because it's uh, our birthday, but I just want to honor somebody uh, that was is very important to me and drove up from Texas to be here today with us, and that is Frankie Trimble. Frankie uh, is one of our core members here at Bentry when we started, um, uh, along with many of you, there's core team members out there. Uh, Frankie said, hey, Uncle Paul, I'll uh, play with you. Uh, he is Pastor Trimble now, uh, and uh, we laid hands on him, sent him out from here, uh, went to school at Southwestern, and we're just so proud of you, Frankie. Uh, and he's an incredible uh, guitar player, worship leader, Bible teaching, and he has got a wonderful beard. Let's just thank him for uh, for coming, and just thank you, Frankie. Uh, it means a lot. Because what one of our visions here has always been is to raise people up and send them out. So, Frankie, we love you. Well, welcome to our series, Reclaim. Um, let's, as we get started here, we're studying the book of Ezra as God leads a remnant of people out of captivity uh, of, in Babylon back to the destroyed, uh, crushed land of Israel and Jerusalem. They have uh, been commanded by the king to be able to rebuild the temple. Uh, and this whole thing of what we're seeing here is this reclaiming of spiritual ground. Are you with me? They're seeing this thing because with being reclaiming what God has done, God has given them this vision with this this uh, picture of something destroyed they don't understand. And they are given this picture of reclaiming. That's what we're talking about. And we want to, to look at this picture. We want to be able to see what it means to reclaim the ground. And it's not easy. Uh, as we look at Scripture, as we understand it, uh, we want to see how God draws us in to this picture that we're studying today as we look at this, this series, Reclaim. Where we left off was 50,000 of God's people have walked across the desert with the authority of the Persian king Cyrus. And they've gone back to this, uh, this temple area that, and they're there to rebuild the altar. Even though the temple is not there. They hold Three feasts of remembrance. You remember this? They get supplies ready to start building. They get all the stones, all the wood. They hold these feasts. And we left off last week with, they had just had this celebration and this time of special worship as they laid the foundation of stone. But the people of the land, the enemies of God who worshiped other gods, send this thinly veiled threat to them. The enemies don't want the people of God to rebuild the temple. That's the obvious thing. So the enemies of God take this offer to the people of God and they say, let us help you. Let us join with you. We will worship 
your God, check this out, also. We'll worship. We, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. We just want to help. But listen, the unspoken threat was, if you do not accept our help, our worship, if you do not let our sin, our practices into your society, we will destroy you. Do you see the threat? But it's just under this thinly veiled, oh, we'd like to help. But to the credit of the leaders, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, these leaders replied, no, we will rebuild the temple by ourselves. Thank you very much. Zerubbabel and Jeshua tell the enemies, you cannot help us. They could not mix the religious practices of all uh, the other religions and sins of their enemies into the worship of the one and true uh, God, Yahweh. And remember, this did not mean that the enemies could not repent of their worship, of their sinful gods, uh, and convert to the one true God and become His people. That was always the case. There was always an offer. You could repent and join me. But I'm not going to let you mix with my people. The enemies did not want to become Jews or followers of God. But they could have. They wanted to mix their worship, their sin into the worship of God's people. And that was why the Israelites had been carried off into captivity 70 years before. Because they had mixed all the worship of other gods. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Like today? This is, this is the rest of the world that there's nothing wrong. And it's, this is just my truth. And everybody's truth is... Is okay. That can't be right, by the way. You can't have opposing truths both be true. I mean, they could both be wrong, but there is only one truth. The leaders did the right thing, but look what happened next. Ezra chapter 4, look at verse 4. Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. You see that? They're afraid to take action. They also bribed officials to act against them to Frustrate the plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia until the reign of King Darius of Persia. Now check this out. Check this out. This is amazing to me uh, that this week of preaching fell on this week of the world falling apart, right? I didn't plan that. Clearly God did. We go verse by verse through this, this book and God just happens to put this right here. The enemy wants to discourage the people from God from accomplishing their mission given to them for both the uh, Persian king Cyrus and Darius and, listen, God himself. And I want you to think like the enemy of God's people for a minute. Don't think like God's people. Think like the enemy of God's people for just a moment. The enemy wants to accomplish its mission uh, And it does that if they can keep the status quo. In other words, the temple is rubble right now. If they can keep God's people from rebuilding, they win. Why? Well, there's no temple, but that's the goal of the people. So all the enemy has to do is to put building off. Listen, one more day. Just put it off one more day. I want you to see the key phrases here in verse 4 and 5 again. These are three things the enemy does to keep us out. See if you can pick them out here. When the people who were already in the land, the enemies, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid. 
They made them afraid. How did they do that? They spoke to them as individuals. And the individuals were listening. So we remember, we always listen, listen to God as individuals, but also, like what is God telling me, but also what is he telling us, the people of God? Verse 5, they also bribed the officials to act against them. So they bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus. Bribed. That's illegal. Hey, you can't do that. That's not fair. They don't care. Persia, and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. Do you see what's happening here? Tactics of the enemy that cause discouragement. You see this in your life. When you get discouraged, this is what happens. Look at these things. Write these down. Tactics of the enemy that cause discouragement. Gossip and half-truths. This is why we fight against gossip in the church so much. That's why God says, I hate gossip. Why? Because it delivers this sickness into the church. It's like a cancer. For you that have cancer, this isn't making light of your deal. It's just that bad into the body of Christ because it delivers half-truths. It's got some truth, but half-truth in there. Enemy also threatens people. To threaten people is a tactic of the enemy. You go, hey, just want you to know, if you keep talking about Jesus here at your work, you're going to lose your job. Oh, do I stop talking about Jesus? No, no. Right? How about this? Cheat the system. This is what the enemy does. They cheat the system. They're not going to play by any rules, law or not. How about this one? Frustrate planning. Ah, this is one that gets me. Like you're planning all this stuff and the enemy gets in there sometimes in the body of Christ just to mess with your planning. You know what I mean? I mean, the group. Here's one accusation. Satan's name literally means Satan. The word Satan literally means the accuser of the brethren. He makes accusation. And that's how the enemy uh, causes discouragement. They just, they'll accuse you of anything. It doesn't have to be true. How about this one? This is the ultimate one. Violence. And that's what's here. They're like going, hey, we can do this. We can do this the easy way. We can do it the hard way, right? They're threatening them. Now, what is the goal of the enemy? To keep the people of God from carrying out the mission. What is the mission? To rebuild this temple of God? What is success in the eyes of the enemy? To keep the temple from being built just one more day. All right, here's what I want to remind you of. Just like these people of God a few thousand years ago. The church of Christ Jesus has a mission. And you're going to be freaked by this part. To seek and build the kingdom of God. Sound familiar? That's what they were supposed to do back then. That's what we're supposed to do now. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. Peter says, you yourselves as living stones. He's talking to believers, Christians. He says, you yourselves as, as living stones, a spiritual house are being built by a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Now, Christians, you are the living stones being built, built by God into this temple of God. We say that a lot. It's like each one of you is a rock. Some of you are rock heads, but see, each one of you are rocks, right? And, and we are being built into this temple of God. And then we're offering spiritual sacrifices like they were going to offer physical animal sacrifices. That's what Jesus was talking about when he was walking on the road with his disciples. You remember that? He's walking on the road with his disciples and he says, hey guys, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, Peter says this in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That means the chosen one of God. The son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, some have taught this wrong. Check your baggage on this if you have been uh, especially a part of the Catholic Church. Um, thinking the wrong thing that Peter was the foundation. No. In fact, Jesus is saying that I am the son of the living God. Jesus is saying on that truth, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He said, that truth that Jesus is the Christ is what the church, you, the living stones, are built upon. You and I, brothers, sisters, we are the stones, the living stones that make up the church. At the core of the gospel is this message that Jesus is the son of the living God and that he came to rescue his people from sin, from its penalty, death. Let's tie this together. Just like back then. If the people of God did not rebuild the temple, they failed their mission, their purpose in life. That's the same thing with us. I know that sounds strong, but hear me out. The reason that we are here on earth, the reason that we are sucking air, the reason your heart is beating right now as a Christian is to build the church. That's your goal. That's your mission. And listen, all the enemy has to do uh, is to delay one day and just another day. Back then, all the enemy had to do from keeping them building the temple, just delay them one day. Convince those people uh, of God to join them and said, let us help you and we'll join with you. And they, not, they cannot convince the people of God to do that. So what's the next best thing? To get the people of God off of their mission. Write this down. The enemy wins when we delay building Christ's church. They begin to win the battle when we delay. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, please get what I'm saying. (sighs) Might help to know what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the enemy wins totally. No, Jesus Christ won the war on the cross. Amen? That was a weak amen. Amen? Amen. Satan lost that day. 
But right now, in this church age, before the return of Christ Jesus to come and take His people home, our goal, we are in the fight of our lives, winning souls for Jesus. This is what we do. Sharing the gospel, the story that changed us and will change them. Teaching people in our lives everything that Jesus taught us. Everything. Even the uncomfortable parts. Everything. But right here, right now, you and me, those online, you guys are with us. Our purpose is to build the kingdom, to seek it first. Jesus said, and everything else will be added unto us. Seek the kingdom first is the goal of almost anything but what the win is. Do you know what I mean? Like you go, the win is building the church. That's how you win the battle. But we've made it about everything else. Let me give you a sports analogy. Some of you are going, yes, give me a sports analogy. There's no sports. I coached soccer when my boys were little. I loved doing it. I always started out the season uh, with the practice, the first practice. And uh, we'd have our practice and then we'd lay down. I'd say, all right, guys, get on your stomach and everybody face in a circle. So all these little faces, think first grade kindergarten like that you know so all these little faces and they're kind of scared of me a little bit but my sons are there and they're kind of relaxed now and they're listening pretty close and i always say hey guys look at my big nose right here look at my big nose i want you to focus right now okay and we talk the game right we'd say what is the game of soccer and i would say hey guys i would ask them this question at the start of every season and they'd always get it wrong except for my boys i said you guys can't answer Right. I said, all right, guys, guys, all right, look here, look at my big nose. How do you win the game of soccer? And they think real hard, you know, like when you see a little kid, like, you know, like it's hurting them. And in kindergartners, first grade, they would say stuff like, coach, 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 coach. They'd raise their hand. I would say, uh, yeah, yeah, what is it? They'd say, it's to run faster than the other team and, and run, run, run. And sometimes they'd get up and run around like, you know, show, look how fast I am. And, and I would say, hey, wrong. Lay back down. I'd say, who else? How do you win the game of soccer? And another one just say, coach, I know that's not right. It's to kick the ball harder than the other team. I say, nope, try again. By the way, I'm not into outcome-based soccer. You know what I mean? Like, everybody wins. There is a winner and a loser. And I'd say, try again. And one would say, coach, I know what it is. It's just, it's just you gotta, you got to try really, really hard. And I'd say, no. And if they had all tried and thought it over and said all the wrong answers in the book, I said, you guys want to know how you win a soccer game? And, and, and they'd say, yeah. I said, here's how you win a soccer game. You score more points than your opponent before the clock runs out. And they were like, what? You score more points than your opponent before the time runs out. That's how you win. Now, some of you are laughing at little kids not knowing how to win a game. But I would say, isn't it what Christians are doing right now? Like, we're letting the enemy keep, uh, keep us from building the kingdom. Stone by stone. Just convincing us to put it off. Some of us are real busy, like we're running around going, look how busy we are for Jesus and we can kick the ball harder than anybody else. 
said, you Christians, you can build the church tomorrow. That's what the enemy says. You're too busy to be part of the, the serving team at church. You're, you're too important to serve. What, what a week you've had. Don't go to church this week. Do you know how hard your life has been? You deserve a day off. Sure, get, get around to starting that Bible study next semester. You've got other stuff you need to do. You can pray. You can read your Bible. Tomorrow. What I'm saying is that the enemy is just trying to run the clock out. And it's working on many of you. Keep Christians from doing their job. Our, our job is to reclaim this world for Christ Jesus. Okay, back to the story of Ezra. He is recorded for us, right? Ezra is writing this all down. Remember from last week, this section, chapter 4, uh, contains a bunch of history kind of all gathered together more thematically than chronologically. It's putting it all together. But what the enemies of God uh, is doing is they're going to frustrate the, the whole process. They're going to write a letter to the kings back in Persia and Babylon and try to get the funds, the money from the king cut off. And the enemies make a whole bunch of false accusations. They cheat the system. They lie. They threaten. And they make the king, uh, they write a letter to the king that makes the Jews sound like they're idiots. Now listen to a snippet from the letter from the enemies of God to the king. You got it? Verse 12, chapter 4. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came from you have returned to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and evil city. Finishing its walls and repairing its foundations. At this point, this is a total and utter lie. None of that's happening. Verse 13. Let now be known to the king that if the city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, duty, or land tax. Do you see what they're doing? They're getting at the king's base. What are the two bases of power for a king? Money and Power, so he's hit money. He says, and the royal revenue will suffer. Ah, he's got, I got to stop the king thinks. Since we have taken an oath of loyal to the king. Oh, they're just crying crocodile tears now, aren't they? We've taken an oath to the king. We want to protect you. And it is not right for us to witness his dishonor. We have sent this, sent to inform the king that a search should be made in your father's record books. In these record, in these record books, you will discover and verify that the city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings. Father's record books, harmful to kings and provinces. There have been revolts in it since ancient times. That is why the city was destroyed, which is false, by the way. Why were they destroyed? Because of their sin, the Jews' sin. We have advised the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, you will not have any possession west of the Euphrates. You're going to lose everything, O king. They're just making stuff up. Isn't that what Satan does though? They're lying to the king. Now here's what you already know, but I want you to remember. Satan never fights fair, so don't expect him to. Satan never fights fair, so don't expect him to. I'm always like, hey, that's not fair. 
I'm on God's side. Why are you doing that to me? Isn't that what we think, though? Satan never fights fair, though. His name means accuser. What Satan uses is a thinly uh, veiled truth uh, covering a lie. He twists the truth um, around with the lie to make it sound believable. That's what's happening here in this letter. What are the people trying to do, really trying to do? I mean, the good God's people. They're trying to build the temple. The king is paying for it. Everything God has worked out. But the enemy of God, uh, enemies of God are telling the lies, but believable lies, right? And if that weren't bad enough, it's not just that the king believes the lie and he sends word to have the people, the work on the building stopped and the temple stopped. It's that the people start to believe the lies of the enemy themselves. This is even much worse. Oh, please listen to me. When God's people become discouraged, that's happening. What is it? What is it? What's happening here? They are literally being discouraged. The courage is draining out of them. It's like a, if you think of a a soldier ready for war, he's got his gun, he's got all his stuff on, he's ready to fight. But then as he becomes discouraged, He becomes fearful. What if they shoot me? What if they get... He was ready to attack just a minute ago. Listen to me. These people, they have altered their lives. They have traveled across the desert at great cost, great peril. They have left the comforts of home, 50,000 of them, with one single purpose, to rebuild the temple of God. They have faced all this frustration and done what God has asked them to do. But now they have started to listen to the lies of the enemy. Remember our spiritual enemy, Satan, takes the truth and he mixes it with lies and it sounds legit. And we learned last week that Satan, when he tempts us to sin and not follow God, it appears to be the easier way every time. Sometimes it makes sense. You go, it just makes sense to go Satan's way. Just go the easy way. I know God said that, but this is the easy way. We use this analogy a lot here, but it's a good one. The staff reminded me about this this week. If I were to bake some cookies for you, and chocolate chip cookies, they're hot out of the oven, you know, like too hot to touch, and I gave you like four or five of them. Like we never get that many at home. I'm just saying, we only get like three, four, okay. And you eat those things, and they're hot, and they're so good. I say, hey, you want a glass of like cold milk? You know, in a glass, not a cup. You know, not plastic in a glass. And you go, yeah. And so I, I fill it up to the top. It's a big, we use mason jars at our house when we drink this. And, and I say, and I hand that to you and go, oh, wait, 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 wait. And I take an eyedropper and I drip just a little tiny drop. And I go, okay, now you go. And you're like weirded out. You go, like, what is that? You go, uh, cyanide. You go, drink, drink. It's good. It's good. Do you see what happened there? Is although the milk was good, the whole milk became poison. Why? Because one drop of poison in there changed the whole thing. It's that poison that the enemy whispers just drops into our ears. And we become fearful when we listen to that stuff. And we just put off the commands of God to go rebuild the temple. And go, I don't know. I mean, God, uh, I know you've called us. But hey, I don't know if this is right. The people of God just put off this building the temple one day, one month, one year. 
We'll get to it next year, God. Do you know how long they wait? Fast forward, 15 years. That's gone by now. Remember, the enemy wins when we delay building Christ's church. 15 years. These guys are stuck, but here's what's happening when we get stuck. God raises up people to help get us unstuck. These people speak truth of God, the truth of God's words into our lives. They speak the Bible. Okay, turn in your Bible to this little book called Haggai. Or some people pronounce it Haggai. You have to look at the you have to look at the index. At least I do. It's right before the New Testament, a few books before. Uh, don't worry if you need to use the index. Pastors do too. You're going to want to see this though. Look at verse one, chapter one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai to Zerubbabel. You remember Zerubbabel? He's the leader, still 13 years later. And the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, it's also pronounced Jeshua. That's the same guy. Son of Jehoshadak and the, the high priest. Get this picture? This just summed up 15 years of the story. The people are stuck. Just fast forwarded 15 years. The people of God are stuck. They're just going, well, this is just not the right time. So God sends this man, Haggai, a Jewish prophet. He, along with the other Israelites, are back in Persia. They're not in Jerusalem. They're back in Babylon. Now, a prophet can be a guy that hears from God and says, this is what the future is going to be. And you know a prophet is a prophet of God because he prophesies the word of God and it comes true. Not part of the time, all the time. So that's a prophet of God. But there's also a prophet that hears from God and just gives the word of God to his people for the moment when you need it. In a sense, that's what pastors do today. If they use the Bible. That's why we, we cling to Scripture in our preaching like a drowning man clings to a life preserver in the middle of the ocean. It is God's word to us. So pastors, we are prophets when we read the words and say, here's the words, here's the words, this is what God is saying. We remind you of what it says. So how do we know this, though, is the word of God? Well, this has been canonized. It's in Scripture, the church fathers. But watch what verse 2 does. God is speaking to individual leaders, but also to the entire group. So watch how he makes this work. Verse 2, the Lord of armies says this. These people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The Lord of armies says this. These people say... Do you see what God's doing? He's, he's repeating what they say. The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. We know that's not true, right? But God is listening. Check this out. This is exactly what the people of God have been using as an excuse for 15 years. God knows what they are thinking. And he knows what you're thinking too. The people of God are now repeating uh, to themselves what the enemy has been telling them all along, and they don't even realize it. This is just the this just isn't the right time. I don't know. Things are hard. I don't know. There's this there's this virus going around. The economy's not good. I'm so busy. By the way, Eric Petrowski, uh, Eric is listening online. Um, 
one of our shepherding elders. I love him. He's, he's our ministry director. And for the last two years, he and his team have put on uh, just this boot camp for men. It's been such a blessing. Guys, if you hadn't gone, it's just like the bomb. It's not what you think. Um, and one of the great truths that has been brought out uh, is getting to men to ask themselves this question. Are you unintentionally making agreements with the enemy about your life? Oh, please get this. Talking to Christians, are you unintentionally making agreements with the enemy, Satan, about your life? And I say unintentionally because you're like, I would never agree with Satan about stuff. You go, really, really? Because without realizing, sometimes we start to agree with the enemy about the plans God has for us. But praise God, through his Holy Spirit, he confronts us. God starts to, to, to bring people around us. Sometimes it's preachers like me or in a daily study of you and your prayer time with God's word, alone with God. And in other ways, God does this. God calls us out saying, we, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like I, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Are you running out the clock? Are you, just, are you just playing for the other team or like running around on the field? We win soccer games by running and kicking hard. No, by scoring, right? Look at verse 2 again. The Lord of armies says, This, these people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Man, they're, they're caught. He's saying, look, I've heard you. 15 years have gone by. God says, that's enough. That's enough. Let's get some action going. It's time to play. Look at verse 3. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It, uh, is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You get what he's saying, right? Watch what God is doing here. He is doing, getting his message here. He's asking this question. He wants them to ask the question themselves. Jesus does this all the time. He asks a question as he's teaching to get you to ask the question. The answer that the question is going to reveal is something big. Now, you may not get this reference, like what's a paneled house. This is one that's lined uh, with wood, keeps you warm and secure. You go, yeah, everybody's house is like that. No, when you built a house back in that day, you built the, the structure was not wood. It was stone, more than likely. Stone stacked. And so you built all this. Then you placed wood on top and then a thatched roof, right? And pitch on top of that, make it waterproof. But then once you got the waterproof, you start paneling the house. You put boards one after the other and you stuff things behind it. Wool, anything you could find. And then the paneling would insulate you against those cold stone walls. By the way, it's what we do right now, isn't it? If you just had the bricks on the outside of your house or just the exterior, what would you do? You would have to, in the cold weather, you'd, you'd never take off your, your winter clothes. You'd just be uncomfortable all the time. So what's the answer? Well, for 15 years now, God has instructed them to build this house. The supplies have been sitting there. Grass is growing up around them. 15 years. They've been lost what they're supposed to be doing. Why? Because, write this down. In the face of opposition, we naturally turn our focus of ourselves, uh, focus on ourselves instead of God. 
in the face of opposition, we naturally turn our focus on ourselves instead of God. Does that ring true for today? It does, doesn't it? With all the fear. What do I want? What would make me happy? What would make my life better? What would make me safe? What would I do to protect me? What would give me purpose? And suddenly, we've not only not built the kingdom of God, we've made the purpose of living all about us. That's why I think it's so interesting. God is kicking down idols. So God sends his word through the prophet Haggai, verse 5. Now the Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. I love this. It's like, he says, I want you to think carefully about what you're doing, your action. What is he saying? Remember when God's speaking, he's speaking to individuals and to the group. So what's he saying? So for this group of people, they are Hebrews, right? And the individuals are in uh, a part of that group, God's people. But look what God is telling the leaders He's saying, think about your actions. All right, so now God's going to show them their actions. You ready? He says, you have planted much, but harvested little. How did God know that? He's watching. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but are never how, you never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Some of you have accused God of that, right? Do you see what's happening here? Oh, buddy, we could camp here for a while. You get what God is saying. God is saying, hey, wonder why your plans are not working out like you had hoped. He says, I am frustrating your plans. Do you understand the God, the the God uh, uh, of uh, all power is saying, I'm messing with you. I'm frustrating your plans. Remember, God is sovereign. He is in control of the big stuff like planets and black holes and creation all the way down to the little bitty stuff to the leaf of when it falls to the ground and the speed at which. Sure, we can and are attacked by Satan. But he can only do stuff to us without. He cannot do stuff without it. First passing through the hand of God first. That messed up some of your view of God, didn't it? And we always want to point this out. I'm not saying God is the author of sin or evil. In any fashion. You go, yeah, Paul, that's what you just said. It's not what I'm saying. But what we are saying is nothing you are facing has ever caught God unprepared. And as we studied a couple of weeks ago, he can and does use everything, and I mean everything, that comes across our path for his glory and our good. So So what God is doing here is letting their plans be messed up by the enemy. God's going to mess up their plans. So that he will in turn draw their hearts and minds back to him. Hey, God does this for us too. Why? To get us focused back on our purpose. And what is our purpose? To build the temple. To build the church. To spread the gospel. Listen to me. Listen to me. Online or in this room. If you are not building the kingdom of God, you are not doing what God has called you to do. It's as simple as that. 
And you can make all kinds of excuses, but it will not hold up to the Bible. You with me? All right, look at verse 7, 7 through 9. The Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up to the hills. Bring down the lumber and build the house and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Who ruined the harvest? God did. He says, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Brothers and sisters, you see this. God is saying, do I have your attention yet? I'm talking right now. Time to get back to the point of your life. Well, we're going to land the plane here. I'm preaching. We'll pick it up next week. Hopefully here. If we can be here, we will be here. And online. But we'll at least be online. But we're planning to be here too. Originally, I was going to take this to just five weeks, land the plane here. But I'm having too much fun on this. So we're going to keep going, diving deeper in this. Uh, I don't know about you, but this is speaking volumes to me of who God is and what I need to do as a believer and as a church uh, to be one of his children. At the first of our time, I, I said I would take a special time. We would take special time and walk through some key verses together. What we're going to do is we're going to do that. Just some extended time. Let these verses wash over us. It's just going to be my voice reading the scripture. I'll read it and then pause for just a moment after each one. There's a bunch of them. Just warning you. Bunches. Here's what I want you to do. In a spirit of prayer, contemplate what God is saying to you personally. And to the entire group of us, the church. Let's enter into an attitude of prayer. You don't have to close your eyes. Just enter into an attitude of prayer. Sometimes we think about prayer um, just about us kind of giving our laundry list, you know, to God. Of God, God, I'm worried about this and fix it. Let me tell you, that's okay. Give every prayer. Sometimes, I, I, I was uh, sharing this in between our gatherings. Um, sometimes I get so many worries that I get anxiety. Anybody else with me? Raise your hand. If some of you are like, I've got anxiety, he's asking me to raise a hand. Here's what I do. Here's what I do. Maybe it'll work for you. You've heard me say, read through the Bible fast. In other words, I try to get from Genesis to Revelation fast. I read through that. I go through the Bible about three or four times a year. And then I take one chapter a day and I just analyze this. But listen to me. This is just huge for me. Is I take each thought and I capture everything I'm worried about and I write it down. As much detail as I can think of. And I say, God, it's yours. So that's okay. What we miss sometimes is what we're about to do like right now. Just let his words Speak over us. Speak to our heart. Let's get our heart and mind in the right place. Let God speak to you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Let me, let me just describe the picture you're in. Enter into an attitude of prayer right now. 
What we are doing is we are approaching the throne of an all-powerful God. The all-powerful God. He is transcendent. Do you know what that means? We can't get it all, but it means he exists outside of space, time, and matter. There's no limitations on his material universe. You know, nothing can cause God to act if he does not want to act. This is an all-powerful God. Are you getting the picture? He is sovereign, meaning that he has total control. And the only reason we are able to approach his throne right now in prayer or at any time is because Jesus Christ, our high priest now, our intermediary, has bridged the gap. Because Jesus died in our place shedding his precious righteous blood on the cross and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father, pleading our case. That's the point of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Listen to us. This is the throne room of God that we are about to go in as Christians, that as we're walking down this hall together, we approach God as sons and daughters. That that is our Papa sitting on the throne. We approach God confidently because of the righteousness of Jesus. He has given to us through his blood. Because of our sin has been washed away. You with me? Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do come to you in prayer right now to seek your face. Thank you for allowing us to come to you and seek you. And just let God speak to you as we go through these. And you can write stuff down if you want to. You can keep your eyes open and I'm going to have the scripture on the screen. Or There's little pieces of paper that have all that there uh, in your lap. But I want you to listen for the voice of God. You're going to hear my voice. But I want you to listen to what he's saying. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Fearful. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. 1 John 4, 18. 
There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one whose, whose fear is not complete, who, so the one who fears is not complete in love. Psalm 94, 19. When I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Psalm 23, 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Joshua 1, 9. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Psalm 34, 4. And rescue me from all my fears. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares about you. Luke twelve twenty two through 26. Then He said to His disciples, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you, you're not able to do even that little thing, why worry about the rest? Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my delight and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. 
For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Isaiah 41, 13 and 14. For I am the Lord your God who holds you, holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you. This is the Lord's declaration. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in the times of trouble. Psalm 118, verse 6 and 7. The Lord is with, the Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of mankind is a snare. But the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And finally, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, talking about Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Father, in this time of prayer, I just want to lift up the people in our church building right here, right now. I want to lift up the people listening online and joining us through Facebook. God, so many are struggling with fear in the midst of this COVID-19 virus. God, let your words penetrate our hearts to change us. Let the fear melt away. God, I just admit, we are fearful for the people that we love and for their health, for their life. There are people that are fearful for their jobs or money. Father, we carefully move our eyes from our fear and fix them on you right now. We trust you, God. We pray for healing for those in our church, in a community that are sick, those who will be sick. We pray for quick healing. But God, at the same time, our prayer is that you would use this pandemic and all the fear around it to turn people's worlds and their hearts to you. God, save people. Draw them to your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, use us as your people to be your hands and your feet of Jesus in a hurting world, in a dying world. We trust you, God. As you just continue to pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Is there a fear you have right now? 
going to invite the band to, to join me and play. It says, we pray together. Is there a fear that you have? Is it about the virus getting sick? How about dying? You scared of dying? How about someone you love? Is it your job? Let's turn that over to the Lord right now. Here's the thing I want you to do. Is we want to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that before, what you are doing is placing your faith that Jesus is the one who can save you. The Bible is very clear that we cannot save ourselves, but that God can. He can wake us from spiritual death. And you know you have been regenerated. You have been woken from the dead. If you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, do you believe that at the core of you? The very heart of you, your spirit, your soul, the very middle of you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the most high God, that God raised him from the dead? You've been regenerated. Confess that with your mouth now. That Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. That's what it means to be saved. Some people, sometimes people try to point to a prayer that saved them. And prayer is the mechanism that we use to talk to God, certainly. But listen to me. Prayer does not save you. Jesus Christ, His grace, believed on through faith, saves you. Those are both a gift. So if you believe that's the case, place your trust in Jesus. How do you do that? Believe, confess, repent. Repent of your sin. Now you're just like me, I know. We sin every day, even as a believer. Christians are not somehow better than other people. We're simply forgiven because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. But because He has saved us, what we do is we repent of our sin. We strive to start following Jesus, His teaching, to follow His commands. So do that. Say, God, I want to follow the commands of Christ. I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. Would you send your spirit to do that right now? Help me to follow you. That's what it means to be saved and to become a Christian right there. You could say, God, you can have all my tomorrows. Jesus, you're the boss of my life. I want to live for you. Help me to repent of my sin every day. And listen, that cannot be taken from you. Because you didn't choose Jesus, he chose you. Are you with me? So if that's the case, end your prayer like this. I love you, Jesus. I will follow you until I see you face to face. And it is your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.